Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Today is the first day of November 2020. And I got to thinking about the season. I love the season that we're going into. We're going into Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just a few short weeks away. We're going after that right into the Christmas holidays. I love what these two holidays and seasons do for us as people. What it does for us as a nation. What it does for us as a congregation. I love the fact that people begin to really reflect on gratitude in their heart for their fellow man, for what God has done. We celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, We start thinking a little bit maybe about family and what they mean to us and how special they are in our hearts and all of that. Now, I'm not going to preach an entire Thanksgiving sermon today, okay? Is the title up there yet, Michael? There we go. You can leave that right there. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving appetizers, and I'll follow up with that in a a second. You can leave that right there. And then you get to Christmas, and everybody's rejoicing, and I don't know about you, but I sense something in the Christmas season. It's not just Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, that kind of thing. The Holy Spirit of God permeates the atmosphere, and people are actually nicer to each other. Um, They're more cordial. They're considerate. You might even take the opportunity to let someone in, you know, in traffic. You might wave them on into the, into your lane of traffic. That kind of deal. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, is what the Bible says. And I really believe that as a society, whether we're believers, whether we're heathens, whether we're Trump supporters or Biden supporters, whatever we are, I believe that it gets better. Through the holiday season. So I just want to touch on that today. Now, the idea of this Thanksgiving appetizer theme, not wanting to rightly divide the entire subject of Thanksgiving, because I'm sure that there will be those that come after me in the month of November. So the, the, where this comes from, every year since I can remember growing up at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, um, in preparation for the big meal, going to eat at maybe two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever you get up, you don't eat any breakfast, you don't eat any lunch, you kind of starve yourself. But there was always this little table in the corner of the kitchen between the kitchen and the family room that had stuff on it. And those are called appetizers. Now, Teresa's younger brother, Uncle Jeff, he lives over in Beaverton. He calls it appetizers, which is just as appropriate because there's all this good food on the table. You can't fill up your plate. You're just supposed to kind of pick at it a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. In preparation for that, for stuffing your face, 
for the Thanksgiving meal, for the 10 pounds of turkey that you're going to eat and that big bowl of mashed potatoes. Am I making anybody hungry besides me? Yeah, I had one, I had one little piece of toast for breakfast this morning in lieu of the fact that I, I can't eat a, a, a big meal before I, before I speak. So we're going to touch on the appetizer table of Thanksgiving today. Is that okay? Let me begin by sharing this story with you. The day before Christmas became a Thanksgiving day for my family, the station wagon was packed with kids and travel stuff for the 400-mile trip to Grandma's house. As is our custom, before leaving, we asked God to protect us on the road. And he did, but in a very unusual way. As we were cruising down I-75, we ran over some debris in the road, and it made a lot of noise. But it did no damage, or so we thought. With every passing mile, we figured that the crisis had been averted. When we pulled off the expressway for gas and some snacks a few miles later, we were in for a deflating surprise. I felt a sickening, sloppy feeling in the front of the car. Both tires had gone flat. Now, we weren't happy with having to replace two tires that day, but we were thankful for God's care and God's grace. Thankful we didn't have an accident. Thankful that the tires stayed inflated until we got off the expressway. Thankful for the tow truck sitting there at the gas station. Thankful that a repair shop was open. And we were thankful for God's answer to our prayers. That's not my story. It's just a story that I found in preparation for this. But I thought, how appropriate. We were thankful. Our text this morning comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now before I flip the page and, let me, and I go on, let me just do a disclaimer. I got new glasses on Friday. And I go over to the Costco place, and I've already been there the week before, and it's my annual inspection of my eyeballs and all that good stuff. So they, I pick out frames, and, and uh, they put them all together, and they called on Friday afternoon and said, hey, you can come pick up your glasses. So I put them on, and I'm looking around the building, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I said, wow, that's, that's really different, isn't it? I've had progressive lenses forever, but every time, you know, you get a little older and, and, the, and the, the prescription changes and I'm not quite used to that and everything. But the old ones that I was wearing two months ago had gone bad to the point that everything was blurry. It was just, they weren't working anymore for me. So I knew it was time to go. So I went and got these and then she, I said, well, I said, how, how long is it going to take to adjust? She says, oh, probably a couple of weeks. To, to adjust to these, you know, get them where you're really feeling comfortable. I said, oh, great. i got to speak to the audience at church on Sunday morning. I said, was well, that gives me two days to hope and pray that I can see through my glasses. So if I fumble and I bumble a little bit with the words today, you'll know it's, it's not my brain. Uh, I'm not having a middle-aged moment or anything like that. Uh, I can blame it on the glasses, okay? Yeah, today I can blame it on the glasses. Tomorrow it's a different story. Verse 18 again, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're not sure what God's will is for you, I just read it to you, okay? Sometimes circumstances in our life are not always the best. In fact, may be downright bad, real lousy in fact. But you know what? There's always something to be thankful for. That's what I'm grateful for today. There's always something that we can look at and be thankful for. One morning after a terrible snowstorm, Susan was outside shoveling her driveway. She stopped to wave hello to her neighbor, and he asked her why her husband wasn't out there helping with the chores. 
She explained to him that one of them had to stay inside to take care of the children, so they drew straws to see who would go out and shovel the snow. Sorry about your bad luck, the neighbor replied. Susan said, don't be sorry, I won. Don't be sorry, I won. Those of you that have kids at home right now for the COVID thing and you're doing homeschooling and all that stuff, you know what Susan's talking about right there. Susan was giving thanks in her circumstances, not for her circumstances, not because of her circumstances, right? But in her circumstances, she was saying, God, I bless you. So don't be a complainer. Or as I've always said for years, don't be a windy whiner, okay? Don't be a windy whiner. Psalm 77, verse 3, the second half, says this in the King James. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Now, keep in mind, that's not, that's not reversed. It doesn't say, I, I was overwhelmed and I complained. Uh-uh. I complained and I was overwhelmed. Think about that right there, and I'll read you another little story. Doc, author Dale Robbins writes these words. He says, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I've come to realize that they have problems because they complain so much. Complaining doesn't change anything or make the situation any better. It amplifies frustration, spreads discontent and discord, and can invoke an invitation for the devil to wreak havoc in our lives. Complaining just makes us and everyone around us miserable. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So that psalm says, I complained, and what happened? I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. Here's Philippians, uh, how to solve it in Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. Boy, if you look at what's going on around us today, we live in a crooked and depraved generation. One of the drawbacks for me living so close to Portland is all we get really for news is Portland news. And I can get a little depressed over it sometimes. I'll be very honest with you. I look at it and it's like, oh, flip the channel. Let's find something else to talk to because I'm tired of looking at the crooked and depraved generation that shows up on the news. But if we'll not complain, we'll not argue about things. One day we will shine like the stars in the universe. That's what the Bible promises us, okay? So a positive, thankful person is a great witness in a dark world. And Lord knows we live in a dark world. Our light shines for the Lord. We become a beacon of light when we're thankful, when we're grateful, when we live it, when we express it. Those of you that go to a place of work every day, and maybe you share a lunch table with coworkers and all of that. When you're thankful, when you're grateful, when you express it, you are a huge witness to those people in your place of work. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So instead of looking at the negatives in our life, we got to be looking at and looking for the positives. That's 
what the word is instructing us to do. And when we find those things, that's when we offer thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Psalm 107. Pastor's been reading from the Psalms, and I couldn't remember if he'd covered this one or not, so it's in my notes. What can I tell you? Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those He gathered from the lands, east and west, from north and south, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Listen to the condition of these folks. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. He let them give thanks, oh, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. I like your song better than mine. Oh, do you? You like 107 better than 106? Oh, Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad I got it in there. I'm glad I saw that far forward to get it in there. Hallelujah. So give thanks, giving thanks to God and giving thanks to others. Is what pleases the Lord. It's what pleases God. It puts a, I believe it puts a smile on his face. You know, every Sunday after service, we put our things away and we go up here and we begin to tear down the stage and we put all our stuff behind a locked door so the next group can come in behind us and use the facility. And I do my best every week to thank those that come and help us. Randy is faithful, Phil here today, but Phil is faithful, my wife, my daughter, those that come and help us wrap up the stuff. It's not fun. I, I know churches that they never move their stuff because they don't have somebody coming in on the next time slot. But we do, and we're grateful for that. We love our Russian family. And so I do my best to give thanks. I want to cheer these folks up. It's not fun work, but at least it's brief. We normally get it done in about 15 minutes, and then we're right behind you in the lunch line. So giving thanks to God and to others is what pleases the Lord. Oh, I guess I should get to my appetizer menu here, huh? Three simple appetizers for Thanksgiving if you're a note taker today. Number one, we have it so good. Number one, we have it so good. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He provides everything for our enjoyment. We have to put our hope in God. If if you, uh, every night when the news is running... I always try to pay attention to see what the stock market has done. And this week, the stock market took a beating. Over, down over 800 points when, the, when the, the little mini crash happened this week. People are scared to death of COVID. And the news is such a, does such a great do- job of fear-mongering. And, you know, so the nation takes a hit and then it creeps its way back up. Very slowly but surely. But we can't put our hope in wealth, the Bible says, because it's so uncertain. It's just like the stock market. It can be all over the place. But put our hope in God who richly provides, with every, uh, provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let me ask you a few questions today. And I want you to ponder these. And if you want to write them down, that's fine. Where in life did you come from? 
Where in life, we all have a different testimony, we all have a different story, we have different backgrounds. Where in life did you come from? Let me ask you, this is interesting. How poor were you when you were a child? How poor were you when you were a child? I think about some of the places we lived as a family. My folks were in ministry. They were young. They were just starting out. We lived in the, in the Dalles, Oregon, right down the Columbia River, about two hours. We lived in the basement of the church. Jim, Judy, and three kids, and we lived in the basement. And it was nowhere near as nice as the basement in this church. Basement, Our basement looks like the Taj Mahal. This had open walls that didn't have any sheetrock on them and an old stove that would scare the, scare the bejeebers out of you as a kid. The, 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 the stove, you'd, it, the flame would come up inside this old stove and it, and it, uh, it just looked like a big creepy robot to a, to a kid. We were, when we went there, we were one, two, and three. My, I was the oldest of three kids. So Mike was three, Susie was two, and David was one. We were little guppers. But how poor were you when you were a child? What do you have now that you didn't have then? What do you have now that you did not have then that God has blessed you with? So many of us grew up with a whole lot less than what we have now. And I have a tendency to reflect on my own life a lot and say, God, I am so grateful. I like to walk around our house. I work from home about 90% of the time. I come down here on Fridays and we clean up and we set up and we get everything ready to go. Uh, But most of my time is spent at home either working on worship or working on study and all of that and I'm also the grandpa overseer for the local school district (laughs) so I reflect on my life and I have a tendency to walk around our house when I'm in my sweats and my slippers and I'm working I'll just walk around the I'll take a break I got to get up and bend those old hips bend those knees and I'll just walk around the house thanking God for the beautiful home that he's blessed us with I could never afford that home without God's blessing in our lives. So I just walk around and I tell God, you know what, God, you're pretty awesome. Thank you for this beautiful home that you've allowed us to have in the time frame that we are here in Vancouver, Washington. Thank you so much. And Lord, don't forget to let the value continue to rise and rise. Let Lord, let the Portland housing market drive the value of this home through the roof. So when I get to retirement age, there will be my nest egg. Don't Lord, don't let there, don't let any recessions come. No housing crash. Just let it keep on booming and I'll be a happy camp. You know, because preachers don't have retirement accounts. I've been in ministry 42 years. I don't have a retirement account. But that house right there has the potential to keep me smiling and eating at McDonald's once a week uh, in my old age. So I'm grateful for that. But I reflected back on my life. So let me share a little bit of this story and I'll just kind of ad lib it quickly and move on. The year was 1970. I was a junior high kid and we were living in San Jose, California. We had a brand new home that we were living in in San Jose. My dad worked for, he was in between ministry assignments, and he was working for a company called American Housing Guild, and they built new homes and condos all over the Bay Area, all the way from south of San Jose, all the way up to the other side of the Golden Gate in Marin County. They built everywhere, and they were very successful, and he went to work for them as a service rep. He made a very good living. I mean, back in 1970, he was making 50000 a year. Now, today, that's not big money, but we're talking about 50 years ago, folks. So we had a beautiful home. And it was brand new. And we hadn't ever had a beautiful home. I mean, a new home that I can recall in my 13 years of of being alive. 
And uh, we went to a great church. We went to church at what was then known as Los Gatos First Assembly. Great man of God by the name of Kelsey Prinzing who who was such a phenomenal example, even to a teenage kid. Uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit there. I was baptized there. Uh, Mom and dad were both involved in ministry of some sorts. And we just, it seemed like life had hit a spot that was just prime. It was great. So, one day, and it wasn't always that way. Dad pastored a lot of little churches in between. We, it seemed like we moved about every two years to go along with the whole ministry. Being in the ministry is very similar to being in the military. Two years is over, they decide they want to make a change, and they give you the right foot of fellowship, and then somebody else comes along. So we had been through that a lot. So here we are. And one day, Dad comes home from work. We call a family meeting, or I didn't call it. I was just asked to attend. And uh, Jim and Judy set us three kids. We were 13, 12, and 11 at that point in time. I even had a really great paperwork a uh, paper route. I used to deliver the paper every morning before school and I made 75 bucks a month. I thought I had hit the mother load. It was wonderful to have money in my, of my own to go out and spend what I wanted. It was wonderful. So they sit us down and they said, well guys, um, we want to uh, talk to you about the next chapter at the Patterson household. And I'm thinking, chapter, I, I thought we were doing pretty good here. What's wrong with the chapter we're in? Let's, uh, let's just keep it, huh? shall we? So, Dad goes on to announce that um, we've taken a pastorate in Roseburg, Oregon. And I had to go look on a map to see where Roseburg, Oregon was. I, I'd never heard of the place before. And Roseburg, Oregon was a little tiny town of about 10,000 people back in those days. And San Jose was not. San Jose was big. It was sprawling. You, I could ride my bike to the brand new mall that was right down the street and, and just have a blast. And So we're going to Roseburg, Oregon. Oh, okay. There's a church there that needs a pastor. And we've submitted our application. And we've been chosen. So, we're, we're, so they kind of explained the whole timeline and everything. And... It was just a couple of weeks. The house was sold. It was closed. And we're packing up a U-Haul truck to head for Oregon. We go to Oregon and we pull into this little logging community that's just Podunkville, okay? Any town that has a B-U-R-G on the end of it, it's a burg. There's no doubt about that. Larry and Grace lived there for a few years. They can tell you it's a burg. There's nothing fancy about Roseburg, Oregon. Um, but we pull into town, we're looking at the... And back in those days, the logging communities had these big, giant, rusty wigwam burners. One about every couple of miles where they processed the lumber and burnt the junk and all that kind of stuff. I just thought that was the strangest thing I had ever seen in the city limits. And so, this little church is not only in the podunk town of Roseburg, Oregon, it's 12 miles out of the city limits to get to the little church and the little parsonage that sat next door. So we go driving out there, we come over the hill, and, and, and I'm looking at this as a kid, and we're pulling up to this place. It's an absolute dump. Um, it was a dump. The little house was a two-bedroom, one-bath. Mom and Dad had, a, and had a, a bedroom on one side of the house, and Susie had a bedroom on the other side, and a simple little bathroom in between, and a little living room, a little kitchen. And out back where David and I were asked to, to camp out um, was kind of an old chicken coop that had been refurbished as, I believe it was the pastor's office, but now it became the boy's bedroom. And 
What I didn't realize until the first Sunday that we had service, because we got in there in the middle of the week. So the next first Sunday comes, mom's going to lead worship. There's not a musician to be had in the church. I'm 13 years old and I'm the only musician available. So I get out my guitar, my little amplifier, and I'm playing guitar. That's kind of where I got my start was on guitar. And I'm supposed to carry the worship service as a 13-year-old as a kid while mom does the direction. First Sunday there was 12 people in attendance. It had been that way for a long time. And John and Velma Mall could attest to that because they were the district superintendents, Kathy Grace's folks, that oversaw that particular area, all of Oregon and Washington and back in those days and everything. They could attest to the condition and the shape of this little church. So, and then come to find out with 12 people, there's very little income, maybe enough to pay the light bill. Um, there wasn't a mortgage on the place, but maybe enough to pay the, the uh, light bill and maybe pay the insurance payment. But the Patterson family went from living on this pretty substantial salary that my dad had to $300 a month. That was his California unemployment check was $300 a month. So a family of five had to live on that and things got tight. Things got tight. And we were so far out in the country that a lot of the folks who were farmers, instead of bringing cash or writing a check and putting it in the offering, they would bring you uh, farm goods. So we had one family that every Sunday they brought us two gallons of whole milk in these big glass jugs. And um, that, that was wonderful. And uh, mom would scrape the cream off and do something with that. And us kids, because, you know, when you're raising three kids that age who are all junior high, preteen, all that stuff, um, we could eat a lot back in those days. I can't do that anymore, but we could do it back then. And um, there was another family that lived just down the road from them, and they would bring us a dozen eggs. And, and sometimes they'd kill a chicken and they'd clean the chicken up and throw it in a bag, uh, a shopping bag, and they'd bring that too. So it was a very different lifestyle than living in the metropolis of San Jose and having all the amenities at our fingertips. So I say all that to tell you that God's blessings still remain. Um, the church began to grow and God began to move. And actually Jim and Judy had not lost their minds about going to Roseburg, Oregon, they had actually heard from God. And when you're teenagers, then you just tag along and hope for the best. But God began to move. And pretty, that little building that we worshipped in would seat about 75 people. So if you use the overflow room back here, that was about the same size as the church. One, two little bathrooms, a men's room and a, rest, and, a, and, a, and a women's room at the back and the little hallway. A little place to hang your coat and a little oil heater that heated this little building. And we live right next to it. Gravel parking lot, 12 miles out of town. Nobody knew you were there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to move. God began to move. The church began to grow. And it was kind of comical. We'd stand on the porch of the parsonage as teenagers and we'd watch the cars come over the hill. Cars come over the hill. Pretty soon, the little 75-seat auditorium was full. Then we went to a second service. And that service grew and grew, and that filled up. And then we bought a building in town, and it would seat about 250 people. And the church began to continue to grow, and God began to move. And we filled that building up. And then there was a building across the street that was for rent. So we left children's church and Sunday school and offices on one side of the street and walked across the other street to get a 400-seat auditorium in that building. And God continued to do his thing. And it was amazing to watch God's blessings 
in the life of this simple little pastor's preacher's family and watch God's faithfulness. And the church went on to do great things, I must admit. Built a beautiful building. um, Did some great things. I remember, I think at the peak growth of the church, the church had about 600 members. What was amazing was the church was very missions-minded. We've told you stories about family. And there was also other missionaries in Grace International that we supported. And at the peak of this church, the church gave $380,000 over and above their tithe and offering to foreign missions. So missions around the world was was such a blessing. I, I think of, of the Parrish family in Guatemala. I think of the Ost family in Mexico City. Uh, I think of, of the folks in Zimbabwe. I think of these people who had put their lives on the line for missions. And my dad didn't know anything to do but preach the gospel like a maniac. And then raise money for the missionaries so they could be supported and do what God had called them to do. So let me ask you today as I finish up that portion of it. Have you counted your blessings, blessings lately? There's an old song we used to sing in that church when I was a kid. Count your blessings, name them one by one. How many of you know that? Count your blessings, see what God has done. Yeah, God's doing great things. Amen? Amen. Point number two, and I will get through this quickly because we're running out of time. Point number two, we enjoy it so much. Again, 2 Timothy 6, 17 says, the the part of that that I want to really focus in, But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything means everything, folks. Anybody ever heard the old saying, are we having fun yet? Uh, Are we having fun yet? Um, You know, we Americans are a bit of a crazy lot. Um, We'll do almost anything to have fun, to have a good time. And all of that. But then unfortunately we complain about it. We can't get out of bed to go to work or go to church. There was a little quote that I put in my notes this week that I had read somewhere else. We worship our work. We work at our play. And we play at our worship. Let me read that again. We worship our work. We work at our play. And we play at our worship. And unfortunately that is a sad but true statement. When you look at the American church, when you look at our society as a whole. 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us this scripture passage, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I wrote in my notes right under that. In other words, don't be that guy and don't be that gal. Amen? Don't be one of those folks who want to be counted as part of the terrible bunch in the last days. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of God, but not to, where, not to the point that it becomes your main focus, your, your breath, so to speak. We're not to focus on the gifts. We're supposed to focus on the giver of the gifts. Amen? James 1 and 17 says this, Every good gift, good and perfect gift, comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. My motto is, if it's good, 
it's from God. Amen? If it's from good, if it is good, it is from God. But let's not forget God in the process. Amen? Sometimes it seems like we go whole hog, my dad used to call it. He's an Arkansas guy. When it comes to a lot of things in our life, things like eating and playing and pleasure and travel, possessions, etc., etc., I could go on and make a list as long as your arm. It seems like we're never content, we're never satisfied, we always want more. And I thought back in my own life, my, my mom used to tell me, Michael, you have champagne taste and beer wages. And that was the truth. I'd walk on a car lot to look at a car, maybe as a teenager or, or a young man in my 20s. And I would immediately walk to the most expensive vehicle uh, that was on the lot. That was just, I don't know where that came from. Maybe it came from growing up in a poor preacher's family. Now, my dad was a car nut. He got me interested in cars. And he would always trade up. I, I remember he... He got a wild hair. He bought, when we were in Roseburg, I learned to drive in a 63 Falcon that was a six-cylinder or four-cylinder. Yeah, four-cylinder, straight four, and a three on the tree. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, it was a clutch, and that's what I learned to drive in. My dad didn't want me to learn to drive in Mama's car in the automatic. He said, you're going to learn how to drive stick. So you're 13, 12 miles out in the country. You know, There's nobody out there going to bother you. So we went for a drive, and he taught me how to drive that thing. But that was kind of the, that was his day-to-day car, and Mom had a different one. And, and so he decided to sell the Falcon to somebody in the church or give it away or something. And he bought a little Mercedes. He thought he was big time then. He bought a little Mercedes 190D. Okay, This is a diesel engine, slower than a slug in the wintertime. And there's a big hill when you get back to town that you, where the church sits now that you have to climb this hill to get into town. And by the time you, hit, you would hit that hill at 60 miles an hour, but that little engine only had about 30 horsepower, and you'd get to the top of the... By the time you got to the top of the hill, you had downshifted from every available gear, and you were in first gear doing about 8 miles an hour just as you crested the hill. Oh, take a big deep breath, and you could make it on into town. That was like... Yeah, it was the stupidest purchase he ever made, but he loved that thing, and he didn't have to buy gas at the local station. He could back up to the fuel tank at the back of the parsonage and pull out a hose and fill up his right there and, uh, and and you stole to run the Mercedes it was quite weird quite comical but um, so I guess that's where I got that I'm always I'm you know I'm never content I'm for me to drive a vehicle more than a year or two is really out of the ordinary um, yeah and like I was re- I was reflecting on my little red pickup that you've seen me run around here in I I was thinking back I bought that in 2013. I've had that truck seven years, which is beyond. Maybe as I've gotten older, maybe I've grown away from some of that stuff. Maybe I've paid attention to the scriptures a little bit more to say, well, maybe I don't need a new sixty or $70,000 pickup to make payments on because that's goofy. But this lust for material things that we harbor, uh, the more pleasure kind of thing, it dominates and controls our lives to the point where God is left on the sidelines is what happens. Hey, God. Go over there and leave me alone, would you? Or he's pushed completely out of the picture and all we want is stuff. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
Now, a lot of people like to misquote that and say that the love of money is the root of all evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People, some folks want to say that money is the root of all evil. That's not true. Money is just a tool. It's a tool for you to make your mortgage payment, buy groceries, pay the light bill, uh, whatever it takes. Make a car payment if you're so inclined to do so. It's simply a tool, but the love of it, and I put in here in parentheses, for the love of money, and pleasure could be added to that. Pleasure could be added to that. Some people eager for money and pleasure have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. One thing I noticed in that is I highlighted the words in my notes, pierce themselves. This is not a life-inflicted wound. This is a self-inflicted wound, this love of money. They pierce themselves, the word says. So again, don't focus on the gifts, but rather focus on the giver of the gifts. Number three today... We express it so little. We express it so little. Some years ago, the Peanuts cartoon pictured Charlie Brown bringing out Snoopy's dinner on Thanksgiving Day. But it was just his usual dog food in a bowl. Snoopy took one look at the dog food and said, this isn't fair. The rest of the world is feasting on turkey with all the trimmings today and all I get is dog food. Because I'm a dog, he said, all I get is dog food. He sat there and stared at his dog food for a moment and said... I guess it could be worse. I could be a turkey. I guess it could be worse. I could be a turkey. You know, whenever you start thinking that life is unfair, think again. You could be a turkey at Thanksgiving. You could have been born and raised in a third world country like some of those missionaries that went there to minister to those people. You could have been born there where those people have little or nothing. I've been privileged to go on mission trips back in the day to Mexico and to Guatemala and to the Philippines. When I was at Champion Center in Tacoma, five, six years in a row, we went to the Philippines because they had started two sister churches there. And so we would go and we would do ministry, ministry and we would do leadership conferences. And those folks, learn, I, never, I will never forget, we were in what they call a... A jeepney. It's kind of a long jeep with benches in it. And uh, it's open back there. And this is what you would ride in to go to the services. And they were taking us across town to a meeting that was in a, an old hotel. And I remember going down this road. And on each, there was a river that was nothing but filth and pollution in it. And then there were cardboard shanties. Up, backed up against it and there were literally hundreds of thousands of people that lived there and then there was the road that we were on and then there was a whole other group of cardboard shanties on that side of the road and I th- I'd never seen anything like that in my life that was probably as poor I ha- had ever seen another human being uh, and those people forage for a lot of their supplies and food and all that out of that nasty old river the garbage that floats down that river So instead of thinking how little we have, we need to count up what we do have and give God thanks. Amen? Amen. I've heard it said this way. We need to learn to live with an attitude of gratitude. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come back at this point in time because we're going to close our service um, with the blessing again. That's such a beautiful song. So I'm going to have them come back. And as they are getting ready to do so... um, I'm going to read you a little story that's entitled, I am thankful for. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means I'm gainfully employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have plenty to eat. I'm thankful that my shadow who watches me work 
because it means I'm out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home and a roof over my head. I'm thankful the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means I'm warm and cozy. I'm thankful all the complaining I hear about our government because it means we have freedom of speech. Amen? I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means that I can hear her. No offense to the ladies that sing behind me on stage, okay? (laughs) Just want to clarify that one right off the bat. It's okay, Beth? Sure, we're good. Okay, they still love me. That's wonderful. This would be my wife's deal. I'm thankful for the piles of laundry and ironing because it means my loved ones are nearby. I'm thankful that the alarm clock goes off in the early morning hours because it means that I'm alive to see another day. Amen? Last one. I'm thankful for the weariness and the aching muscles at the end of the day because it means I've been productive. Or in my case, it means I have the privilege of getting older. Amen? 